past couple of months, we have been looking at the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark. Um, and it has been a fantastic study. If you can remember last week or the last time we were here, uh, Jesus was coming in conflict with the scribes and Pharisees. And it was basically over outward rituals versus an inward heart. And he actually says to them, uh, this people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. And Jesus was attacking a system, not necessarily a people, but a system that uh, was focused on the outward things, the rituals, rather than what was going on inside the heart. Uh, and so Jesus was saying to pay attention to what's on the inside, not so much what's on the outside. Uh, the overall point from last week was it is the condition of your heart, not the rituals you practice, the traditions you follow, or the disciplines that you adhere to. That determines your intimacy with God. It's the heart. It's the heart uh, that determines your intimacy with God. And so this morning we continue in that story. Jesus goes to another place, encounters another group of people, particularly um, a mother who is strong, uh, is full of faith, and is determined um, to, to on, on behalf of her daughter. Um, but before we go into the, the text this morning, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we're so thankful for this time and this place where we can come to bow our heads before you, to take a deep breath, to not be in a hurry, to not be distracted, but to be focused and purposeful and desiring to hear from you this morning. We pray that this morning through your word and by your Holy Spirit that you would teach us in all wisdom and all truth and that you'll find us ready to hear and respond. Would you take a minute and pray for the person in front of you, or behind you, or beside you that they would hear from the Lord this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the overall point from this morning is this. Humbling ourselves before Christ always opens our eyes to His grace and mercy. Humbling ourselves before Christ always opens ourselves up and our eyes to His grace and mercy. Now, the title of the message this morning is Crumbs of Faith. Crumbs of faith. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter 7, and we're going to look at verses 24 through 30. Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 30. Jesus got up and went away from there to the region of Tyre, and when he had entered a home, a house, he wanted no one to know of it, yet he could not escape notice. But after hearing him of him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately came and fell at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of the Syrophoenician race. And she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he was saying to her, Let the children be satisfied first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord. But even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. And he said to her, Because of this answer, go. The demon has gone out of your daughter. 
And going back to her home, she found the child lying on the bed, the demon having left. Now, this is a fantastic passage. You can also find this passage in a story in Matthew chapter 15, and we'll be referencing that a few, few times. There's four areas that I want to go over, and the first is the scene and the setting of the story, uh, the love of this mother, the pursuit of Jesus, and the response of Jesus. So let's set the scene just for a second. As has been the case in all the times we've looked at Mark, it is important and almost imperative that we get in the scene, that we understand the context. Not only does it add an understanding of the uh, uh, context and what the people are going through, it also adds an element of accuracy of what is being uh, going on in Jesus' life. So Jesus and the twelve make their way from the Sea of Galilee, Capernaum, Gethsemane area up to this place called Tyre. And he enters a house seeking isolation and separation. So many, probably, perhaps many, of the Phoenicians that he is around know who Jesus is, has heard about who Jesus is. And as has happened before, when Jesus hears of a person's need, he responds to the need. Now this departure from Capernaum was a withdrawal from Galilee. Now I want to show you a map. So this is where Jesus was. This little area in the middle right here, Capernaum, Gesenerat, that little body of water right here is the Sea of Galilee. And you see where the Sea of Galilee is and you see where Tyre is, T-Y-R-E. Now Tyre is north, uh, never eat, should I? Uh, northwest of the Sea of Galilee. About 40 miles. So uh, <clears throat> Sidon is just right above it, about 26 miles. So from the, where Jesus was in Capernaum up to Sidon is about 60 miles. So it's a pretty good distance walking uh, for Jesus to be out of this area. But the importance is not the geography. The importance is the territories. Now this green area that you see, this green area, all that green area is the Jewish region. Outside of the green area is Gentile region. And that's really important. Tyre was, a not, was an ancient non-Jewish city that had a long history of hostility to the Israeli people. Tyre is located in current-day Lebanon. And here's another fact, a little uh, Bible trivia for you, is that Tyre is where Queen Jezebel had come from, Israel's most notorious enemy during the time of the divided kingdom. Josephus, the Jewish historian, called the people of Tyre Israel's most bitter enemies. Tyre represents this area of extreme paganism, in the Jewish mind, extreme godlessness. And so you have to ask yourself the question, why is Jesus going to Tyre? What is going on? Now, if you remember, Jesus had been spending all his time around the Sea of Galilee doing miracles, uh, meeting with people, feeding five thousands. But he had also been in confrontation with the Pharisees and the scribes. And scholars over and over about this passage are saying that Jesus just wanted to escape. He just wanted some time alone, some time away. And so he goes to this area of Tyre. Another reason that he could have been Fleeing the area of Capernaum and Galilee is because once he left that area into Tyre, he was also outside of Roman authorities. Remember the Pharisees and the scribes, they had been plotting to overtake him and to kill him even. 
And so he was moving out to this area just for a respite, just for some time away. But the, the most significant part of the setting and the scene of the story is the obvious distinction between the Jewish area and the Gentile area. And it brings out the relationship that they had. Now, just to, as a reminder, some of you probably already know this, but during the time of Jesus, when he walked on the earth, the biggest boundary separating people were Jew and non-Jew. The Jews were God's chosen people, occupied a place of distinct privilege with God. God had made wonderful covenants with them, had entrusted them with the scriptures, had dwelt in the tabernacle with them later in the temple. And by contrast, the Galatians, I mean the, the Gentiles, were complete strangers, aliens. Remember what uh, Paul says in Ephesians 2.12. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's what the Gentiles were, particularly in the eyes of the Jewish people. Now, one thing that you can't forget is that Jesus was Jewish. Jesus understands the distinctions about the circumcision and Sabbath and keeping impurity laws, and he knows all the essential ingredients that make the Jewish people distinct. And he grew up observing these things. And then as his ministry began, he began to question these things because a lot of the things were taking precedence outside rather than what was going on in the heart. And because of his questioning and because of his challenging, the scribes and the Pharisees labeled Jesus a sinner, a heretic, and they sought to kill him. Now, the time would come when Jesus would face his enemies. In fact, a year from now, from this time, around this year from now, is when Jesus would go to the cross. So, in some ways, these verses and this setting gives us a, a foreshadowing of what it looks like for the Gentiles, what it will eventually look like for the Gentiles. So, we understand that the Jews and non-Jews uh, didn't get along. In fact, here's what uh, one historian said. The Gentiles were as unclean as an animal carcass or a dead body to many pious Jews of Jesus' day. That's a pretty good word picture, right? Kind of shows how they felt about each other. They didn't like each other. They didn't get along with each other. In fact, most times it erupted into a violent picture. It was mutual hostility, a mutual hatred that they had. And that's the setting that we see Jesus in with this woman in Tyre. And while he's in Tyre, while he's in this house, he recognizes and sees this woman and we see the love of a mother. Now this woman appears on the scene. We don't know her name. We don't know how old she is. But we do know some things. That we know that she was Greek. That she was born a Gentile. Matthew chapter 15 talks about this woman being a Canaanite. Meaning that she's from Canaan. What it really means is that she's a Gentile. She's a Greek. She's from Phoenicia. Uh, she is not Jewish. No word is said about a husband. We don't know if she's divorced. We don't know if she's widowed. But we do know that there is something going on seriously with her daughter. It says the woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit. Now, in Matthew chapter 15, uh, Matthew describes it as a, a daughter being demon-possessed. Mark gives it... Uh, 
a sense of tenderness when he says this woman has a little daughter. We don't know the daughter's age, but it's a little daughter. And there is no doubt that this mother has heard of Jesus, about his healing, about his power. But she has some things against her. In society's terms, particularly to the Jewish, she was a loser, an outcast. She had strikes against her. The first one is that she was a woman. In Jesus' day, the social customs discouraged men to talk to women, unless it was their wife or with their daughter or their mother. She also is a Greek, meaning she's a Gentile. She's an outcast. And she is a Syrophoenician origin, meaning that she is from a place where the enemies of Israel came from. She's got strikes against her. This woman knows that she has none of the religious, moral, and cultural credentials necessary to approach a Jewish rabbi. And yet she does. She doesn't care. Why? Because of the love she has for her daughter. Now, in Matthew chapter 15, when you read this account, the disciples, when this lady comes, try to urge and push her away. This woman comes to request that Jesus drive out a demon from her daughter. In the Greek, this word, uh, this verb is imperfect or a progressive tense, meaning that it, she doesn't just ask once, she keeps on asking. She doesn't give up. It's not just a mere question. Now, now, let's get in the mind of this mom just for a second. This is a mom who comes to Jesus, who back at home has a little girl that is demon-possessed or demon-oppressed. Now, think about that for a second. That is an unplanned circumstance. Very few times in Scripture... Very few times in history will you read about somebody wanting to be demon-possessed. It's unplanned. It's unwanted. And that makes it unpredictable. Children have a way of putting parents in situations that are unpredictable. Whether by their choices or because of the situations that they find themselves in. When your child is sick, when your child's in trouble, you have a desire, because you love them, to see it fixed. And any time we have unpredictable situations in our lives, we have uncertainty. This mother had unpredictability and uncertainty. And what happens when there's unpredictability and uncertainty? Usually, at that time, there's also this thing of despair and frustration that creeps in. And so she was looking for someone who could do something to give her answers. So this is the place we see this woman. An unpredictable event a situation that has led to uncertainty and unknown outcomes, all based on this motive of love. This woman, if you want to take this picture, was trying to connect her daughter's hurt with the healer. She wanted to be the bridge between her daughter's hurt 
and the healer. Because she loved the hurting. And to bring these two people together was what she was desiring. She had a deep love for her daughter. She had a deep faith for her daughter. And she believed in a miracle for her daughter. And she also believed some things about Jesus. She believed that he said who he said he was. And in Matthew's account, in Matthew 15, it says that Jesus, he called, she called Jesus the son of David, realizing who he was. She was confident in his power. She kept on asking. She was confident in his generosity. She may have heard the stories where Jesus stopped and was very generous with healing, with his power, with his provisions. And she was hopeful of his awareness of her motivation of love for him. Where else can you go to find this combination? So let's talk about the pursuit of Jesus by this woman. Have you ever, think about it just for a second, maybe this past week, past couple weeks, month, have you ever wanted something so bad that whatever challenges come up, you are going to push right through them? This woman has the persistence to see her request heard and answered. And you know why she has this, right? Listen to what own author said. There are cowards, there are regular people, there are heroes, and then there are parents. <laughs> parents are not really on the spectrum of cowardice to courage, because if your child is in jeopardy, you simply do what it takes to save her. It doesn't matter whether you're normally timid or brazen, your personality really is irrelevant. You don't think twice, you do what it takes. So it's not at all surprising that this desperate mother is willing to push past all the barriers. I read a meme this week, uh, this quote that said, uh, don't poke the mama bear. <laughs> underneath it, it had this picture of this bear, and underneath it it said, don't poke the mama bear and then complain about getting mauled. <laughs> this demon possession of this little girl had poked the mama bear. She's out of her cage. In a pure, loving pursuit of Jesus. But she understands what Jesus is saying. We see between Jesus and this woman that Jesus tells her the Jews are first. And it's interesting what she says in response. She uses three very unique, powerful words. The first one is, the first word in the Greek, she uses this word, nigh. And it simply means yes. It means to consent. Yes. I agree. I accept. I understand. Yes. Nigh. But then she uses a second word that's only used in Mark. She uses the word cure. Cure is the word translated for Lord. So she says, yes, Lord, I get it. I know that the Gentiles have no place at the table yet. I know the Messiah's mission is to the Jews. And I accept that. I understand that. But the third word of the woman's response is the thing that changes everything. She says, nigh, cure, 
Yes, Lord, and this uses this word, kai, which means but. Or even yet. Our text uses this word but. So here's what she's saying. Yes, Lord, but. The two words, but Jesus, are most powerful words of hope we can ever whisper from our heart. All throughout Scripture, particularly the New Testament, 33 different times in the Gospels, the words put together, but Jesus, appear. The crowd was doing one thing. The crowd was going this way. This little girl was sick. This woman, but Jesus. In Romans, it says, all have sinned, but Jesus, while we were still sinners, died for us. Those two words give comfort in every painful situation that we're in. They give hope in circumstances where I've messed up, made bad decisions, feel the weight of insecurity and the deep need for approval. But Jesus, but Jesus. The woman is saying, yes, Lord, I am only a Gentile dog, but I know that puppies have a way of eating crumbs that children drop under the table. And that's what I'm after. In faith, in faith, she comes to Jesus. It's the same mindset, if you will, as the woman who we looked at in Mark chapter 5, I believe it was, where he came to the woman, and if I just can touch the hem of his garment, if I can just get a thread... This is all she wanted. Just the crumbs to fall off the table. And think about what she overcame. The concealment of Jesus. Remember, Jesus was somewhat hiding. And she went and found him. And, and notice, too, that there wasn't an RSVP to this woman. She wasn't even invited. And she came right in. She had to overcome the prejudice of being a woman and a Gentile, and she had to overcome the silence of Jesus, which we're going to talk about in just a second. All these obstacles in front of her. All these obstacles. It reminds me of the passage in Jeremiah that most of us can quote. Jeremiah 29, 13-14. If you seek me, you will find me. When you search for me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Here was a strong faith that would not take no for an answer. And so what was Jesus' response? Brings us to the last point. Verse 26 says this. And she kept asking him to cast the demon out of the daughter, out of her daughter. And as he was saying to her, let the children be satisfied first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. And he said to her, Because of this answer, go, the demon has gone out from your daughter. Now if we look closely, we see actually three responses from Jesus. And remember, Jesus is perfect, so all his responses are always perfect. The first response of Jesus is this response of silence. In Matthew's account of this story, it says he answered her not a word. Now think of this woman. 
Jesus, my daughter, demon-possessed, Jesus, my daughter. And she hears nothing. Silence from Jesus. The passage says that she keeps on asking, and he keeps on being quiet. Now, she could have gone after the first time, after a time of silence, and went back to her village and said, Listen, don't go ask Jesus anything. He's a jerk. He's, not even, he's just going to ignore you. He's not even listening to you. But she doesn't. She keeps on asking. Most followers of Jesus, most people who have walked with Jesus, are going to experience two things with Jesus. And the first one we experience is this joy and this communion and this intimacy and this closeness. But if you've walked with Jesus long enough, there will be a season where you will experience the sorrow of a silent and seemingly absent God. And you will cry out with petitions. And you may think, does God not hear me? Is he ignoring me? Why is he not listening? Can you imagine what this woman has been thinking and seeing right in front of her? And Jesus remains silent. Most of us have been in situations where that's been the case. And it's hard. Samuel Rutherford, one author, said this. The silence of God is a taste of hell on earth for the believer. Matthew 15, 23 says Jesus didn't, didn't answer a word. Notice what it didn't say. It didn't say he didn't hear a word. It said he didn't say a word. Then when pressed more, we see the second response of Jesus. Jesus responds with these words, a response of clarification. Let the children be satisfied first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Jesus is giving her the clarification for her request. Now this answer, the story itself, must be read with some insight and some understanding. The woman comes asking Jesus help for her daughter. He's silent. And then his answer was that it's not right to take the children's bread and give it to the dogs. Now at first, his answer seems more shocking than his silence. Now, one of the common practices, just to get yourself in the scene, one of the common practices in most Jewish homes, they didn't have forks and knives, spoons, utensils. They ate with their hands. And when they would eat with their hands, they would take a piece of bread and they would wipe off their hands with that bread and then throw that bread to the ground for the dogs. And so this woman says, I know that there has been bread thrown to the dogs. I know the children are fed first, but I can get just a scrap of bread, just a crumb of bread. Now, it is true that in that day, the Greeks, by the Jews, looked at the, the, the Gentiles, uh, the Jews looked at Gentiles as dogs, disgraceful. It wasn't an endearing term. 
In fact, Matthew 7, 6 says, Do not give dogs what is holy. It was a derogatory comment. But I want to make it clear that Jesus was not calling this woman a dog. He was using it as an analogy for the story to make his point, to clarify. Jesus was speaking to the woman to test her faith and in turn give us a glimpse into the heart of his ministry. Now, it's important to know that in Mark, Jesus doesn't call her a dog. It's part of the analogy. In fact, Jesus even takes the sting out of the word dog and uses a word in the Greek for puppy. That's better if that's more palatable, isn't it? We can't hear the tone of Jesus' voice. We can't see the, the expressions on his face. But there has to be something about Jesus that, that, that keeps drawing this woman to him. This refusal has nothing to do with ritual uncleanliness, racism, or even paganism. What Jesus is clarifying is that it's not the right time. Jews then the Gentiles, and yet she throws herself at the mercy of Jesus, which gives us our final response. This woman didn't mind being a puppy at the feet of Jesus, one author said. Just let the crumbs fall, and that will be sufficient. Verse 29, and because of that answer, Jesus says, the demon has gone out of your daughter. And when she arrives at home, the demon has left. Matthew said to the woman, O woman, great is your faith. Now there's another element inside this story that shows another part, part of her faith is that she actually left Jesus and went home. Because if she didn't believe Jesus, she would still be there begging him to heal her. But she believed him, and there was an element of faith that he said what he said he could do, and she went home and found him that way. It's important to note this that Jesus, throughout the Gospels particularly, is always concerned with those that are marginalized, particularly women and children. Remember it was uh, Jairus' daughter that moved his heart? Remember it was the woman who touched the hem of his garment? It was the woman at the well, and it's the woman in this story. And the point I want to make is that Jesus' grace and mercy is for everyone. He does not discriminate. He includes everyone. Here's a quote about this passage and about this chapter. God's grace is not reserved for those who are meticulous about religious ceremonies, as we saw in chapter 7, verses 1 through 13. Nor is it reserved for those who avoid all vices flowing from a defiled or defiling heart, verses 14 through 23. It is for those who are open to receive it and who know they are undeserving. This needy Gentile woman moved the heart of Jesus by her open heart, her empty hands, and daring confidence that whatever Jesus would give would be enough. So here's some lessons that I want us to look at from this passage. In humbling ourselves before Christ, he opens our eyes to his grace and mercy. What is your position before the Lord? What is your posture? Is it an attitude and position of humility? 
Verse 25 says, The woman came and fell at his feet. It was a sign of submission, pleading, trusting, and respect. Is that how Jesus sees us? The second thing is, even when our faith seems strong, Jesus will still stretch us. How many of you have ever been in a stretching situation? If you're breathing here this morning, you have been in a stretching situation. And so the question is, are we teachable in the midst of uncertainty? Are we allowing God to stretch us? There are times of joy and communion that I have had with the Lord. And there are times that I've had sorrow of silence. St. John of the Cross calls this the dark night of the soul. When it just seems like God is not there. What do we do? God calls us to stretch our faith and trust Him. To have faith. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. Are we teachable in the midst of uncertainty? There's a third thing. Christ can conquer Satan at a distance, and I love that. His power, knowledge, and compassion have no boundaries. So the question is, how great is your confidence in the power of Jesus? This week, I want to challenge you to think through two words, but Jesus. I got this diagnosis. I got this circumstances. I got this situation. I got these people. I got this going on, but Jesus. And a practice that I like to do is I breathe in the word but, and I exhale the word Jesus. It's part of who I am. But Jesus. And I say it as a prayer and I say it with confidence sometimes. No matter how far gone or how dire the situation, Jesus' power and grace have an unlimited reach. The last thing I want us to look at is the people need us to be persistent and persevering in our faith. Are you and I willing to take the attributes and attitude of this woman and apply it to our friends and family who don't know Jesus? Do we possess what this woman has? Are we pursuing and petitioning Jesus on their behalf because we love the lost? How persistent and how persevering. When I was playing sports in high school, the coaches used to always ask, get right in our face. And one coach chewed tobacco, wriggly gum, and sunflower seeds all at the same time. (laughs) And he would look at us, and he would say, how bad do you really want it? And I think that's the question this morning. How bad do we really want our lost friends and family to meet Jesus? Do you and I want to be the bridge? Here's the picture of a bridge, just in case you didn't remember what a bridge is. There are hurting, lost people on the left side of the bridge. Jesus is on the right side of the bridge. And I believe 
like this woman, Jesus wants us to be the bridge to bring hurting people because of our love and our desperate need for the hurt to get to the healer. And we have an example of that in Jesus. For God so loved the world that whoever was on the left side of the bridge, if they trusted in me, would be on the right side of the bridge. That's our mission. That's our hope. I want to put a little meat to that last point and ask you to do this. For those of you who are old school and use a pen and a pencil or a, a piece of paper, I want you to write the name of somebody you know on the left-hand side of the bridge. We have about three, four different prayer groups here at Grace. And on your way out, I'd like for you to drop it in the two boxes on the way out. And our prayer folks here will pray for that person. And if you're not old school with a pen and paper, you can text the word prayer. Go through the form and just write the first name of the person that you know is on the left-hand side of the bridge and that God would use you to bring them to the right side where Jesus is. As believers... We must be willing to be as persistent, have the depth of faith and longing as this mother to be the bridge between the hurting and the healer. Remember, our final point this morning is this. Humbling ourselves before Christ always opens our eyes to his grace and mercy. And as we see with this woman, it only takes crumbs of faith to move the heart of Jesus. Let me pray for us. God, thanks so much for this morning. Thank you for this story, for giving us time to explore the, the details, the setting, the context, to maybe be challenged by the love this mother has for her daughter, her determination and pursuit of Jesus. And God, thank you for the response of Jesus. And I pray, God, that you would use us to be a bridge to those who are hurting, who are lost. That we would be a bridge to bring them to Jesus. Where they can find healing and hope, just as this woman did. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.